Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I am your host, Yovan Buha, joined by Bill Oram, as always. Bill, how is your offseason? It's been a few days. Oh, it's great, Yovan. I've gone to breakfast <laughs> the last couple of days. I have uh, played with my kids. I have, um, you know, <laughs> it means it's it's April 13th or 14th, and it's summer now for the next five or six months, at least from a Lakers standpoint, which is... Um, pretty hard to wrap your head around. I was actually thinking the other day as we were sitting in exit interviews on April 11th, I think that's the earliest I've ever been in exit interviews because the play-in has pushed everything earlier. Mm-hmm. So it's like, this is the, you know, I've covered the league for 10 years. I've covered some truly horrific teams, like the 17-win Lakers, the 21-win Lakers, and you never had a season end so early. So um, tells you all you need to know. The 33-win Lakers. The 33-win Lakers are right up there with the worst teams I've covered. I think if you go back and look at like the um, six or seven worst seasons in, in Lakers history, the only two I didn't cover were the 74-75 Lakers that won 30 games and the 93-94 Lakers that won 33 games also. So um, all the rest of them I have uh, I've been here for. Yeah, I've one, two, three Cancuned it down to San Diego, where I'm I'm living my best life right now. And uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's weird though because we we did not expect. I mean, the last few months, last few weeks, we we kind of expected this, but obviously, what six six seven months ago, uh, this team was the Western Conference favorites. Yeah, and they ended up finishing eleventh and missing the play-in tournament. Um, I guess with, with, with a few days of reflection, what what are your kind of first thoughts, be it from exit interviews or, or just kind of the season overall and and, and sort of what, what's on your mind right now? Well, I think mostly trying to spin it forward. But, you know, as, if we look back at the season that was, I think, you know, we got a pretty good taste out of exit interviews of just how fractured this team was and just kind of how doomed this group was. When you heard Russell Westbrook talk about Frank Vogel, talk about, you know, not being allowed to be himself, which, you know, you wrote, I thought wonderfully about and kind of the, the um, sort of disconnect between Russell Westbrook and reality um, and understanding who he is. And I think, um, you know, was it you or someone else had the line, like the, the disconnect between Russell Westbrook, who he is and who he thinks he is. That was me. And, yeah. And I thought that was a really, um, I thought that really struck the, you know, kind of the heart of the issue. Um, so, I mean, you know, there was that there was there were players like Kent Bazemore and Wayne Ellington, you know, guys who didn't play a lot, but they were brought in to play a lot and they were in that locker room and they had some pretty harsh words about kind of the state of this team and and kind of the the lack of faith that this group could get it together, you know, from a pretty early um, stage. So, you know, really what we saw all along and those those seeds of doubt that were sown fairly early, like that you and I have talked about on this podcast, I think were validated by what came out of um, exit interviews. Obviously. The Lakers made a coaching move. For me, the issues are much bigger than, you know, Frank Vogel, who 
by the end of the season, yeah, I mean, you make a coaching change. It had gotten too out of hand. I don't think that there was any argument not to reset the coaching position, but I did think that um, the front office uh, not only handled, you know, the firing terribly by letting it be reported before they could had a chance to talk to Frank. They, um, you know, I just think that, you know, this entire season was a terrible reflection on the systems and structure of the Lakers front office. And so going into the offseason, you know, it's what comes next. Where do the Lakers go? What do they change? And I, you know, I don't know that they're going to change that much institutionally. You know, I think the Lakers, you know, feel like they have the smartest people in the room and that they will figure it out. And, you know, we've seen sort of a fairly haphazard approach to free agency. They're going to be in the same position again this year where they're going to have to, you know, fill out the roster with a lot of minimum contracts. Uh, will they do it better than they did a year ago? Um, and then I guess just the other thing is to me, there is no argument to try again with Russell Westbrook. You, um, you have, you have seen what that looks like. And to go into next year with him on the roster would be just making the same mistake and falling into the same trap that you did last year. I, I agree with everything you just said. I, I think on the Russ front, um, it was jarring. And I, I think we, we weren't necessarily surprised by what he was saying in his exit interviews, but I, I think the, the level of delusion and, and, and as you said, disconnect from reality of, of just, you know, putting the blame on everybody else. It was, uh, I mean, I, I thought it didn't get enough attention how he, he kind of threw LeBron and AD under the yes. bus, with, with, you know, and I, I put that in my story, but it was like, uh, all season long that they, they, they kind of had that mantra of let Russ be Russ. And they never really took shots at him. They always were publicly supportive of him. Even when we were hearing behind the scenes that LeBron wasn't necessarily the, the happiest with Russ and, and his play. And, and yet, you know, Russ continued to, and he had some of those barbs throughout the season where he would kind of say certain things about, it wasn't just that Frank, it, it did seem like it was sometimes at LeBron and AD. And, and I think for him to say, you know, obviously, uh, you know, they said, let Russ be Russ, but they weren't being honest. Like it was even that, more, it was even more um, blunt than your, than your, for those who didn't hear it. Um, you know, there was a question about, you know, we heard all year about you, you know, LeBron and AD saying, let Russ be Russ and, and Russ interrupts the question to say, yeah, but that wasn't true. It's just, I mean, which speaks to the heart of the issues. Russ claims that he wasn't allowed to be himself. That he never got comfortable. That he wasn't allowed to get comfortable. Um, and to me, if you're Rob Palinka and you're trying to evaluate what to do, that tells you all you need to know about where Russ is at, what his, what he learned from this season. He comes out of this season feeling like a victim um, okay, well, you can go be a victim in Indiana or Charlotte because this is over. Yeah, I mean, and and if anything, Russ was too much himself. That that was the issue of the season. Mm. What was was rough? Uh, I mean, r- rough. I mean, the season was rough, but uh, yeah. I, his season was rough, especially. But no, I mean, I, I think he he was too much himself, and and that was kind of one of the things I wrote was just I, I think Russ was was basically th- this played out. You know, you and I spoke about this. A bunch of people talked about it going into the season of the concerns with Russ, and they all played out probably worse than people even you know expected. If you were pessimistic, but like it was all of the good of Russ was there, but worse, and all of the bad was there, but increased. And it was just you know he was not an effective player, and and really by any measure, um, 
And, and you know, the, the rust stands came after me after saying he's, he's no longer an all-star level player and they're referencing Washington. And it's like, he was not the player he was in Washington last year. He was a much worse player than he was in Washington. Um, and you know, he, he did have a couple of good stretches through the season, but those were like over a period of like a week or two, it was not sustained. So I think honestly, I'm at the point with the, with the rust situation where I do think you exhaust any and every option to try to trade him, but if it comes down to it, I would rather send him home than for a whole year for, for the whole year and John wallet and, and just say, you know, what we're going to eat this cap. Uh, you know, we're going to eat your, your salary figure on our cap sheet. And yes, like it, it might ultimately make us a worse team in terms of depth and, and sustaining a LeBron or AD injury in the regular season, but he didn't really help them with that this season. So like, I, I just, I think they're there until he has a reality check with where he's at and admits that he needs to transition to a different phase of his career. He is no longer the player he once was. And, and he needs to, like, because, you know, he talked about him, I mean, saying that he, he he sacrificed all this stuff and he made all these adjustments and he did all these things that he's never done before. And it's like, I, I don't know what he's talking about because his numbers are almost like his usage was down, but but not by much. And he wasn't cutting off the ball. He wasn't setting screens off the ball. He right. wasn't playing defense the way that he did early in his career. Like, he did not do any of those things. He did not improve as a shooter. Like, it's just... It was basically who he's always been in, in a smaller role. And it's just that isn't, you know, he. Uh, yeah. So th- th- that was where I was out in the rusting. I-, I think on the um, you mentioned Wayne and Kent. I, I thought one kind of takeaway macro takeaway for um, just how everything played out. Like, I think some of our concerns with are there when you have this cast of, of accomplished veterans, even though some of these guys, you know, hadn't won championships or been all-stars, like even a guy like Wayne Ellington, you know, 10 plus years in in the NBA started a a lot of games. Like those guys are proud. And I I think one thing in the construction of this roster moving forward, not only do they need to find better fitting pieces in terms of skill set and go younger, but I think they have to be a little more careful with, with some of the personalities, because I think this has now been, back-to-back seasons in which the Lakers have have probably put too many guys together that expect to be playing. And you have yeah. seen at some point diminishing returns of like the guy 12 who thinks he should be guy seven. That guy isn't going to be happy. And I think there is like, a, a, there's been some chemistry stuff in the locker room, I think, where guys just, too many guys expect to play. And you got to find the Onion Gabriels, the Stanley Johnsons, the Austin Reeves, who don't necessarily have those expectations and are okay with playing maybe eight minutes one night, 20 minutes the other night. Uh, because I think some of these veterans that they brought in ultimately just you know had, had different expectations for their role. And maybe that's a Frank thing. Maybe it's a Rob thing. Like it, I think it's kind of on everybody. But I think there was, to, to what you were kind of saying earlier, like some of too many guys expected to play. And I think that was kind of a, a underlying issue that, that maybe wasn't talked about enough. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And that's something that I think we identified, Jovan, at the beginning of the year. When you look at this roster, you know, even before they had Avery Bradley, who became a you know starter for the first half of the year, there were so many guys who you could look at and say, you know, this guy was brought in to play a role. 
you know, 12, 13 players. I mean, DeAndre, Dwight. I remember arguing with Dan Wickey from the LA Times who covered DeAndre with the Clippers. And I was like, I don't think DJ can play. Like, where do you start him? They're going to, the plan was to start small with AD at the five before all the injuries. Dwight's going to play. Where do you play DJ? And it's like, well, if you don't, if you don't play, if you don't play DJ, you're going to lose him because that's just, he is, he came here expecting to play. He got bought out of a role where he wasn't playing in Brooklyn. And lo and behold, he was the starter for the first, you know, maybe 20 games of the season. But, you know, they had a lot of guys like that who I'm like, and I didn't envision that like Wayne Ellington was not going to play. I didn't envision that Trevor Ariza wouldn't play once he was healthy. Those, um, that was not on my like, you know, penciled out rotation for the season. Um, but you also didn't know that Austin Reeves was going to be able to contribute at the level he did, or that Malik Monk would take the step that he did, which when I mean, he was a huge part of like what limited success this team had. Um, but it also speaks to the, the issues the Lakers had that they needed so much from Austin Reeves and that they needed so much from Malik because the other guys who were in those roles, you know, were not able to contribute. Kendrick Nunn never got on the floor. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just think that there is a lesson to be learned, like you said, of having too many guys who come in thinking they should be playing 25 minutes a night. Mathematically, it doesn't pencil out and it's a really bad position to put your coach in. And I will keep hammering this. I don't think Frank Vogel necessarily, I don't think you had to fire Frank Vogel just because, um, because the season, uh, was a disaster. You had to fire Frank Vogel because of everything you did along the way to undercut him and put him in an untenable situation. You, you know, you know, the three, I've, I've written about this ad nauseum, so I'm going to repeat this for people who've heard me say this, but three year contract to start, no contract extension after the championship, contract extension after kind of a failed season, but it was only a one year extension. So that's going into this season. And then a roster that was really challenging, like a really unfair roster, I think, for any coach to have, you know, you know, Hall of Famers coming off the bench um, on top of a bunch of guys who, you know, are veterans, are proud, like you said. That was going to be a headache the whole way through, and that and that proved to be the case. And and Frank had to make choices like benching, you know, benching Ariza and benching um, Kent Bazemore for you know Avery Bradley who wasn't on the roster for Wenyan Gabriel and Austin Reeves and Malik Monk and um, later Stanley or, and Stanley Johnson starting on Christmas. You know that ended up being the meat of the Lakers rotation, not all these like guys with you know big names the Lakers had signed. And it, that would be my you know one thing that the Lakers need to get away from. It's this obsession, obsession with with guys with big names. I mean, it's not to say that big name guys can't contribute. Of course they can. That's why they have big names. But it feels sort of like the Lakers go into, you know, whatever their war room is, wherever Rob and Kurt and Linda and, you know, that's basically the group get to and maybe Rich Paul get together and talk about and put some names on the board. The tiebreakers or what the what determines who they go for tends to be, oh, I've, I'm familiar with that player because he's been around a long time or I've seen him a lot or he has a, you know, he has a, you know, a, he's he's somebody we have heard of a lot or he won a championship previously. Not that is somebody who fits, whose skill set, you know, size, where they are in their career helps balance out our roster. And you also need guys who can't, like Stanley Johnson is like the perfect 14th man for this team next year. He should be on the roster next year. He's earned that, but he should not be playing anywhere near the same role that he did this season. That would just make no sense because that would mean that you are coming back with a roster that is more or less as good as the roster you had last year and that was clearly not good enough yeah uh i i think it's going to be a challenge because i mean you see it's hard to hit on minimum contracts and they're gonna have to like at least you kind of have that a bit of that foundation of um you know austin stanley uh, and, and wenyan 
Uh, I think Kendrick is, is a bit of a wild card where, where maybe he can give you something and you're, you're already going to have that salary. Yeah, I mean, how, about, you know, how about Kendrick Nunn just, <laughs> just, I mean, listen, and he's right, but Kendrick Nunn just saying, well, I think it's a no-brainer for me to pick up my player option. Like, I, maybe it's happened before where a player just outright said what they were going to do in the offseason with an option. Um, but, you know, he's got time to figure that out. There are conversations to be had with his agent. And he just was like, nope, that's it. I'm, 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 I'll be back because acknowledging that after not playing a season nobody's giving him a five million dollar contract next year so he'll be back yeah no that that was amazing um so he'll he'll be back and i think you know they'll have the taxpayer uh mle again so they'll they'll have the ability to spend six point up to 6.3 million uh which isn't great but you know you i think that has to go to a wing like they have to get whoever's the best player within the, you know the, the height range of like six six to six nine that is willing to take uh that money like the lakers need to throw that at that player um and it might cost like it's probably gonna cost them malik monk and i you know for for as good as malik was this season i think if it comes down to picking between him and picking between the best you know three and d wing that they can get w- w- with that exception like i think you kind of got to prioritize the wing because that is the type of guy you need around LeBron and AD. And, and we, we've seen it so often. And like Trevor Ariza was the right idea, by the way. It's just you needed 2016 Trevor Ariza, 2014 Trevor Ariza. Yeah. And and so I, I think moving forward, like that, that is the type of guy. Um, and, and it's crazy because the, the Lakers went from having so many of those, you know, Kuzma, KCP, Alex Caruso, even Markeith moments for, for stretches. Uh, Markeith, Markeith Morris. Moments. I love Markeith, Markeith moments. moments. Like that's a great. Like, I was thinking moments in my head, but Markeith Morris for moments. Um, like th- you, you need those two way guys that can play two through four, and they did not have enough of them. Uh, you know, Tal- like Talon obviously had a disappointing season. Kent didn't pan out. Wayne didn't pan out. Trevor didn't pan out. Uh, and ultimately, you know, Austin. And Stanley were, I think, highlights of the season. But like to your point, you know, Austin shot what 30, 31% on threes. He, he really struggled, especially in the second half of the season. Stanley, uh, you know, is not much of a shooter. So like those guys were ultimately limited offensively and, and should be kind of, you know, a little deeper in the rotation. So, and then Malik is a bit of a defensive liability. So, even Mello, obviously a defensive liability as well. So like the Lakers just had these, these kind of, you know, just weird combination of players that I think never ultimately matched. And, and we, we saw that with, with, with their record, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, the exit interviews were very interesting. And uh, I, I think we're, we're going to see a lot of changes th- this off season. And um, you know, I, I think w- where are you at with the coaching search and, and, and sort of what, what's realistic be- because I, I think, um, I'm forgetting now who reported it, but already there was a report that Quinn Snyder, you know, might have some hesitation if he does become available with, with the yeah. Lakers job with just sort of how hands-on the front office is and, and the way they handled the Frank Vogel situation. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So what have you been hearing about the coaching search and, and sort of where are you at with what they need and, and what's realistic? Yeah, I, um, I'm, wait, I'm really curious to see it play out a little bit. I, you know, because I think that you have, I mean, there's obviously coaches still coaching who you could see getting in the mix no doc rivers obviously being one um you know on top of quinn snyder uh, and you know the quinn snyder thing is interesting just because quinn and rob palinka have a friendship and relationship dating back you know many years and you you feel like if there was a coach who rob would kind of get out of the way for it would be quinn um but i you know i, I think it's inter- i think it, i think it is telling i do think that like there is a p- possibility I mean, it's interesting because like I've had I've had I've heard some pushback from people in the Lakers about the point I made that the way they handled the Vogel situation over these last three years could be seen as a negative to potential coaches. And my counter to that would be, you know, if I'm applying for a job that appeals to me, but somebody tells me that the job is going to pay, you know, X amount less than I previously made, or in this case, you know, doesn't have the job security of you know of another job, an equal job. That's going to that's going to kind of turn me away from the, from the job that, you know, doesn't offer as much. It's going to make me feel less good about going to the Lakers. It's it, whether it's a tiebreaker or just sort of like, you know, makes you think twice like that. There should be no thinking twice about being the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. That should be a that should, with especially with 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 championship aspirations and with with um, championship players. Um, but I think the Lakers have created a situation where coaches have to at least, you know, have the conversation of, is this a good situation? Is this a good situation for any coach? Um, you know, Rob Palinka made a really, I thought, interesting point that really wasn't an X's and O's point at all, but basically felt like with the number of stars the Lakers have, that they need a coach who can essentially, he made it sound like kind of speak the, the language of a star, right? A coach who, you know, is a powerful enough voice to sort of go toe to toe with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And I suppose Russell Westbrook, but I mean, who who expects him back? And I actually feel like that might be a little bit of a failing of this front office if they are punishing Frank Vogel for not being, you know, that kind of personality or that kind of voice when, you know, Russell Westbrook's not going to be on this team. And, you know, Frank proved to be the right coach for LeBron and AD, uh, 
you know, the last time they were healthy and, and made a run at it. Um, you know, I don't think anybody was saying that Frank didn't have a powerful enough voice when he was, you know, basically the spokesman through the situation in China, through the bubble, and uh, and after the tragedy involving Kobe Bryant, when he was essentially the the only person from the Lakers organization who was who was speaking. So I th- I thought that you know, kind of that framing was um, a little uh, I don't know hypocritical, but you know, if we're talking about somebody who comes with like cachet and a voice and can sort of manage superstars. I initially think of Doc Rivers, right? Like that is somebody who, you know, not a superstar himself as a player, but has been around a lot of stars. Has certainly he's coached potentially the MVP this year in Joel Embiid, number two on my ballot. But, you know, I could see the Lakers being very taken by Doc and his presence. I mean, Doc is many things, but he is certainly a coach with great presence. And I think that that is something that the Lakers are looking for. And he also, you know, would be kind of the ambassador of the Lakers, right? Like, I mean, he would help sell whatever it is the Lakers are putting on the court. Fascinating for the Lakers to hire, you know, not only the former Clippers coach, but the guy who, you know, won the last championship in Boston. That feels, we're like in Bill Sharman territory at that point. But, you know, that's somebody who jumps out to me is maybe checking that box. Like, that's why, like, somebody, like you know, when you do hear people talk about, like, John Calipari, like, you're kind of like, oh, that kind of makes some sense if he was actually going to leave Kentucky. So, you know, I don't know. I feel like it's too early because we haven't, we don't really know who's going to be available or who is out there. I will say the Quinn thing, just of my own, um, you know, I don't know, my own critical thinking has always struck me as as a bit of an odd fit just for the reasons you outlined. You know, he is a very he's a you know, he's a very detailed, very um, con- controlling and not I don't mean that in a bad way, but he just really controls his team and program. And how would he react to the amount of, you know, um, meddling, frankly, that goes on from the, the Lakers front office with, you know, Kurt Rambis and, and Rob Polinka in coaches meetings and in film sessions. And just I think it makes for a potentially awkward situation for any coach coming in. Yeah, and and I I even wrote um be, before the the exit interview I, I did a series of you know uh, five off-season questions and and one of the thing I one of the things I asked with, with the coaching was do they need someone with with more gravitas, right? And and I think that would be one of the I think I, I've always been more pro Frank than than maybe most. I, I, I and I think we're aligned in that. But I, I think some of the criticism of Frank, in, in my opinion, has been overblown. I do think, I think at some point he, he needed to just stick to a lineup. Like he kept like like to me the the one criticism could be the starting lineups of just. I know part of that was due to injury and and the COVID stuff, but like he kind of kept saying, well we keep losing, nothing's working. And it's like, well, if you keep shuffling the starting lineup, like give a lineup five games, seven games. Let's look at that sample size versus just, we tried this thing. It didn't work. Let's try something else. Because I do think based on what players kind of reading the tea leaves of what players kept saying, it was clear internally that for some players, the inconsistency with the lineups and the rotation was something that was bothering them. And it did, it did contribute to guys not knowing whether they were in the rotation or not, or, or how much they were going to play in a given night. And, and I think, I think there, it could have been handled a little bit differently. Where again, maybe you know, even th- three or four games, let's just roll with this lineup, this rotation, and, and see how we do. Versus constantly changing it game to game in, in hopes of finding something. I think that kind of messed with continuity, but. Aside from that, I think the, the the gravitas is kind of a thing where um, you, you just kind of have it or you don't. And I, I think 
Frank uh, is a little bit more soft-spoken, and it did seem like with, with some of the reporting that came out um, kind of post towards the end of the season, it did feel like he had lost the locker room to, to some extent or, or yeah. part of the locker room at least. So uh, I, I think part of that, you know, that that is where a doc, like I, I saw it firsthand with the Clippers where doc was the spokesman for the Clippers. And, and part of that was because Kawhi did not like to handle those duties. And uh, kind of before that, they didn't have a superstar after they traded Blake. But I think doc would take some of the, the heat off of, rob off of lebron off of ad like he he knows how to talk to the media and, and he knows how to yeah. package things in a certain way so personally I, I think doc would be a mistake <laughs> i think that um from from observing him with the clippers and, and now observing him in philly i think that he's a little too old school in, in some of his tendencies and he does know how to sell things he, he does have that salesman quality but uh, in terms of X's and O's and, and just his actual strategy and philosophy, I think he's he's stuck in in the two thousands. Uh, you made a so. you made a really good point that I I want to I want to just emphasize because I hadn't even thought of it like this. Is when things got ba- would get bad, Doc would be able to make it seem like it wasn't so bad. Yeah, and you know I think with Frank, you know Frank really kind of wore his um, his heart on his sleeve a little bit, and you could see his frustrations. And, and Doc would get frustrated, gets frustrated, gets angry, but he. Um, I think he can sort of spin it and I could see, you know, if we're looking at a situation where it's like, Hey, Rob Palinka, uh, really, you know, made a mistake with the roster or the Lakers didn't make a trade or, you know, it seems like there's a real disconnect between, you know, whatever. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that has led to, and listen, the Lakers are terrible at PR. Like, I'll just say it like it's, they're terrible at messaging and like what they, what it is they're selling as, um, you know, as, as the story of the Lakers, they haven't had a consistent message. They've been bad at like crisis PR for a couple of years now. So, you know, that has been, that has been part of it, but, um, you, you know, doc rivers is, you know, not a PR person, but he actually does almost solve some of that problem because he can do that job, uh, concurrently with being the head coach. And I think that that, if I'm, if I'm Rob Palinka and I know that we have struggled at messaging, you know, there is nobody who's better at messaging from the coach's seat in the NBA than Doc Rivers. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's a you know, he is a salesman. And, um, you know, the Lakers reputation has taken a hit over the last couple of years. Maybe to some degree what they need is a salesman. Yeah. But what do you think of the Mark, the Mark Jackson? Because I, I, I know Sam Amick uh, Athletic yeah. reported it. I, I, you know, I, there's I a lot know. there, it's, but I, mean, I, I think that there. would be a disaster. It's just interesting. Like, um I don't really know why Mark Jackson hasn't gotten another job at all in in the in you know since he left the Warriors like that seems uh what's interesting about Mark Jackson though is like I mean again we're talking about somebody who has great presence right and does um you know I do think would be able to speak to you know stars and you know and clearly there's the respect factor with LeBron already because he's um because he's uh you know, because he we have we've heard that he is uh, would be in favor of Mark Jackson of mm-hmm. available candidates. Um, that said, this this just is a can't miss hire if you're the Lakers. This is probably going to be the last coach LeBron has with the Lakers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to swing for the fences. You're trying. You're going to try to get a name because um, you didn't get that last time. If you're if you're Rob Palinka, there is this is you know this is. I don't think Rob Palinka is going into this coaching search thinking he'd be satisfied coming out of it with like a Dave Yeager or Terry Stotts, even if one of them would be a good hire, you know, ultimately for this roster. I don't know that that is 
where his head is at again. We know about the 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 quest for star power. So I think he's going to be looking for somebody who does check that box and who can be kind of the, you know, the coach for the rest of the LeBron tenure. So Mark Jackson, certainly star power, certainly like, you know, brand, you know, power. But if it goes sideways for whatever reason, um, you know, I think there's just a little bit more on the line with the Mark Jackson hire. Um, but I, you know, but I also would point out that LeBron James did not get his coach three years ago. If if Mark Jackson is the guy that LeBron is in the in the you know boardroom beating the table saying that's who we need to get, if I'm Rob Palinka, um, you know couldn't couldn't deliver Ty Lue, couldn't deliver Monty Williams. Uh, LeBron had to get on board with Frank Vogel, who he had no real feeling toward one way or another. Um, and you also know that LeBron has a a, cho- a decision about an extension coming up, and if he does not exercise that or if he does not negotiate that extension, he could be an unrestricted free agent in one year. So what are you doing to keep LeBron happy? You know, when they um, previously, you know, when they hired Frank Vogel, LeBron had three years left on his contract. And then, you know, with a player option, it really was two. But, like, you still had, like, a bit of a runway. There's really no runway with LeBron right now because you're going to hire a coach before you know whether he's signing that extension or not. So I do think what LeBron wants is going to be a factor here. Um, It's always a factor, but I think it might be a more urgent factor. Um you, Jovan, got into you were talking about you know free agents and, and how the Lakers should operate um with free agency and the kinds of players they they needed. And I was doing a quick search of who's even available in those um uh, uh you know in, in kind of those spaces. Here's a few names and tell me who jumps out at you. Like what's he gonna what's he gonna be commanding after missing a year and a half of injury? Yeah. I, I think that that would be someone. Is he going to have to sign a minimum? Probably not, right? Probably, Pro- probably not. Uh, Gary Harris. I like Gary Harris. Um, he's, I mean, he's the been, only thing is he's small. He's been playing really well, but I also don't think he's getting another contract like he just had. Uh, but no, 30, no, 31, yeah. no, but 31-year-old Robert Covington, unrestricted. Yeah. I mean, I liked him for the Lakers at the trade deadline, too. Um, you know, those, I mean, those would all be, you know, good players for the Lakers. They're younger than, than the guys they found last year. But also, I guess it's also worth noting that these are the kinds of players who end up getting paid because the the league doesn't have enough of them, and these are the and, and and good teams end up you know competing for players like Robert Covington. I mean, his last contract was you know four years and forty seven million dollars. I don't know if he gets another deal quite like that, but I mean, I think he'll be an in demand player. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think you know, and I don't see that as a minimum. Like you know, is and probably not even what they what they'll have on on the on the mid level. Frankly, yeah. I mean, I, I think all all those guys would be in the conversation for taxpayer mid level, maybe maybe at a minimum. Um, like I, I think those those guys are all to me like five to ten million dollar players. So Auto Porter is available. Auto Porter will be a free agent again. You know, that was somebody I thought they should. I mean, all these guys year. are better than anyone they had this year on the wing. And, and like some things, you just can't like blame the Lakers for like not signing Patty Mills. You know, like that's not their fault. I mean, he he could have come to L.A. He went to Brooklyn instead, but. Um, also, I guess there's, you know, why did he choose, why did he choose Brooklyn? Like, what did he see with the Lakers that, you know, made them not the more appealing destination? Like, how do the Lakers make themselves the most appealing destination? Um, probably by not being dysfunctional. Well, and, and, uh, and also, I guess like kind of now in, in, in retrospect, like I think Patty will, wow, I'm, I'm really struggling today. Um, Patty Mills, uh, like he he would have helped just from a talent perspective and and they didn't really you know like 
I guess it would have been him versus Kendrick Nunn and, and having Patty Mills versus not having Kendrick Nunn, like obviously it, it is better, but they didn't necessarily need another small like guard that could shoot. They, they needed size on the perimeter. And uh, again, I, I think in a vacuum, he, he's better from a talent perspective than, you know, most of the guys on the team. But I do think even going for like the Patty Mills wasn't necessarily what they needed from that right. from that position. I, agree. I mean, they needed bench. They needed scoring off the bench. They had some punch. Like they really didn't know they were going to get so much from Malik Monk, but like they needed M- Malik and Mello. Yeah, but like I mean, they. I mean, they. This is a, like again. I don't think this transforms the Lakers into a contender, but like they needed what Kendrick Nunn does. You know, they needed somebody who could kind of score off the bounce and had a little pop and like wouldn't and could get shots up. So to me. um, you know, whether it was Kendrick Nunn or Patty Mills, they needed somebody who did that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it could have also been somebody else on a mid-level or excuse me, on a, on a minimum. Um, what is our uh, what is our um, our thinking here over these next few weeks? How long do you think the, the coaching search takes for the Lakers? Is this a um, is this a drawn out process? I think I think Rob Palinka said that he was expecting to have someone in place by the draft or they'd be ideal mm-hmm. to have someone in place by the draft. Um, is that is that? Do you think that's a reasonable timeline, or do you think it'll be sooner? I think that's a reasonable timeline. I mean, you, you have to have someone in place by the draft. You have to have someone in place by free agency. I, I think it would be a mistake to start building this roster without knowing the identity of the roster. Um, so I would say, I guess, what what the draft is late June. So you you got eight to ten weeks here to, yeah. to kind of figure this out. Uh, I think a, b- a big part will be. Uh, the the playoffs and, and and sort of you know a couple guys they're looking at Nick Nurse Quinn Snyder, uh, th- those guys are in four or five matchups that I, I think could go either way. Uh, with, with the news that I, you know Utah has been collapsing and it, it's been looking like they're, they're going to blow it up, but with the news that Luka Doncic is now going to be out for game one at least, uh, I think that that has to give Utah obviously a better chance to win that series. Um, so, you know, maybe now Quinn makes the second round and I, I think they'd get smoked by Phoenix, but I, you know, still maybe, maybe that is enough to, to keep his job or, or, you know, whatever. So then the Nick nurse situation, you, you like, I, I think Toronto Philly is going to be a six or seven game series. And with no Matisse Thibel in, in the Toronto games, who knows? Like I, I, I really like Toronto. Uh, I, the, the, the couple games they played against the Lakers, I made me a fan, uh, just for their, their yeah. roster and how they play. So. We'll, we'll see with those, but I guess I guess my, my larger point is like I think it's going to be at least a couple of weeks to see what happens in the playoffs, what coaches, uh, how do their teams fare, and and you know Rob did say that they are going to be looking at the playoffs potentially and, and sort of how those situations play out. Uh, it, I mean Doc, if, if Philly loses in round one with, with Embiid and Harden, you know Doc might be out. So yeah, I, I think th- there's a lot that's going to unfold over the next you know the first first and second rounds. Uh, so I, I guess. I'd be looking at maybe like mid to late May uh, mm-hmm. as the the time to be hiring a coach. But I am really interested to see which direction they go. You know, do they favor, as we said, a, a Doc Rivers or a Mark Jackson, where maybe the X's and O's aren't as strong, but those guys have that presence and and, and can be sort of the, the the spokesperson for the team, or are they going for uh, maybe? A, a Nick Nurse or, or yeah. Quinn Snyder, where those guys are are more known Master for their t- tacticians, yeah. tacticians, but not maybe the same level of gravitas. So, I, I guess we'll, we'll see. But I, I would probably favor the tactician and 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 sort of go that way. But 
it sounds like they might be going the other way. All right, Jovan. Well, uh, it's going to be a long off season. I think we've got, let's see, May, June, July, August, September. We've got five months until the Lakers are going to be playing basketball again. So that'll give us a lot of time for these kinds of conversations. You can just stay in San Diego uh, until then, um, and, and and we'll circle back. But you know, we'll, we'll keep checking in over the course of the offseason, maybe do a couple of live rooms where we'll be able to take questions. We've done that a couple of times uh, over the last few weeks. We'll do more of those. Uh, in the meantime, um, you know, thank you for listening to the Forum Club. Uh, Jovan, thank you for um, you know taking it, stepping stepping away from uh, from from the beach to uh, to participate. And you know, we'll be back with more uh, episodes of the Forum Club as the summer goes on.